Good morning. If you don't know me, my name is Dustin. I'm on staff here at South Point, and we are currently headed towards the end of our Upside Down series. We've been spending the past several weeks reading through a sermon that Jesus preached called the Sermon on the Mount, and we have just a couple weeks left of that, and uh, I'm not going to beat around the bush with you guys. The text that we're going to read today is heavy, and uh, in my opinion, it's probably one of the heaviest scriptures in all of the Bible. I think it's one of Jesus' toughest teachings, uh, and it's a teaching that forces us to look painstakingly inward at our lives, and then it commands us to look desperately at Jesus. And so if you're not prepared to look painstakingly inward at your life this morning, this is going to be a tough one to get through. We've already read part of this passage once. We're going to read it again together. We're starting in Matthew chapter 7 at verse 13, and it says this. It says, enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruit. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. This is a heavy teaching from Jesus. I've been praying that God would give me the words to unpack this with you guys this morning. These three separate ideas and illustrations, but they really all reflect one massive and difficult truth. And that truth is not everyone who thinks they are going to heaven is actually going to end up in heaven. And for clarity... For clarity's sake, this is not Jesus pointing out the obvious difference between people who say they follow him and people who don't. This is actually Jesus very candidly pointing out to his followers that some of you are going to walk into judgment and be surprised when you find out that you didn't actually know me at all. And this can be heavy, man. It can be intimidating. It can be terrifying, honestly. I mean, imagine thinking you're saved your entire life only to find out that you're not as you stand before Jesus. Imagine thinking you've put your faith in Jesus your entire life, only in the end to find out that you've been putting your faith somewhere else. And I know believers who have lost sleep over this verse. I was one of them. Like, how do I know I'm saved? How can I know? Like, what if, what if I'm, I'm not really saved? What if I'm a fraud? It's really the same reason that pretty much every Sunday morning or Wednesday night of my teenage years, that I would rush down to the altar every time they open it up and to rededicate my life to Jesus again and again and again, like just in case I didn't word it right or just in case my heart wasn't genuine or just in case I had sinned too much the week before. This was reflective of the mindset that I was in. I mean, let's just keep it real for a second. This life that we're living is going to end. This moment that we're living in right now is temporary, and every person in this 
room is either going to die or Jesus is going to return. But either way, every single person in this room, every single person who has ever lived is going to stand before King Jesus in judgment. And so the prospect of eternity carries significant weight because eternity is forever. And forever is a long time. I was never great at math, but I know that infinity is a lot. This life is going to end, but you, you are not going to end. You are going to spend eternity somewhere, and it's either going to be with God or it's not. And so Jesus, being very aware of this reality, he's extending this invitation to those who say they follow him to take a close look at where their hearts are at. And although this passage is heavy and can even be terrifying, Jesus tells us how we can have peace and confidence, how we can directly get to him, and he tells us right at the beginning of the passage, we'll read that again. It says, enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow, and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. Jesus says, enter by the narrow gate, take the narrow path. How would the world define this? If you asked the world, if you asked a non-believer, how do you get to heaven, what, what would they say? I mean, what do they say at the funeral of a non-believer? They say, well, they were a good person. They were a good person. The world would say that the narrow gate, the narrow road is defined by being a good person. And if you're a good enough person and if you live a good life, then you'll make it to heaven. But in the Bible, Jesus actually says that no one is good except God alone. And so if the standard is being a good person, we're already all toast. It has nothing to do with being a good person. That's actually anti-biblical. That's anti-gospel. That narrow road has nothing to do with just living a good life. But in reality, this is what Jesus says. Jesus says, I am the door. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it abundantly. And then Jesus says in another passage, Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life that no one comes to the Father except through me. Is the narrow gate living a good life and being a good person? Absolutely not. The narrow gate is Jesus. Let's clarify that. The narrow gate is Jesus. When Jesus is saying you must enter through the narrow gate, he's saying you must enter by way of him. You must enter by way of his sacrifice on the cross for you. By way of putting your faith in him, which really means this lifelong pursuit of him and building your life around him. A lot of people in the world would say that all religions are basically the same. I'd say all religions pretty much the same thing. And I would say, for the most part, I agree with them that they're right. Most major world religions are basically the same, except for one. Christianity is distinctly different from other, every other major world religion, and I'll tell you how. You see, the basis of basically every other major world religion, well, basically each and every one of them was founded by someone who was either a teacher or a prophet or some wise sage, and this teacher or prophet or sage would writ, wrote a book to instruct people that this is how you get to God. In Buddhism, they call it the Eightfold Path. 
In Islam, it's the five pillars. Those who practice Hinduism believe in karma and controlling karma. But every other major world religion is basically a prophet or teacher or sage saying this is where God is and this is how you must live in order to get to him. And a way of life that you adopt. That it's this, this moral life and if you live morally enough or effectively enough, you will get to heaven. That's how basically every other major world religion functions. And then you have Jesus. And Jesus comes along and he doesn't claim to be a teacher or a prophet who knows the way to God, but rather Jesus arrives on the scene and says he himself is God. And he says that if you're going to enter into heaven, it's going to be in him and him alone. You see, the founder of every other major world religion points away from themselves. Here's where God is, but Jesus points directly at himself and he says this is where life is. It's me, or it's nothing. I mean, when it comes to gates and paths, you can't really get much more narrow than one person wide, can you? Jesus is the narrow gate. And by consequence, that makes the wide gate everything else. Literally everything else. Anything and everything else, which means if it's not Jesus, it is not going to lead to life. It is on the path to eternal separation from God if it is not Jesus. And again, this teaching is not Jesus distinguishing the difference between believers and atheists. This is actually Jesus distinguishing the difference between people who say that they follow him versus people who actually follow him. This is not Jesus telling his followers, hey, pat yourselves on the back. You guys are on the straight and narrow. You're doing a great job. You should feel amazing about how you're living, but rather it is Jesus speaking directly at a group of people who claim to be his followers and saying, you guys better check your heart. Check where your heart is at. Check where your faith is at. And that brings us to the next portion of Scripture where Jesus is going to tell us how we can check our heart and how we can verify where our faith is and that our faith is actually in him and not something else. Jesus goes on in verse 15, he says this, says, beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. You know how many times I've heard this passage used as a way to classify or qualify a good pastor from a bad pastor? That when Jesus is talking about false prophets, he's actually just warning against bad preachers? But you see, in the context of what he's talking about, this Wide gate, narrow gate, heaven or hell for all eternity. It's either me or it's nothing that I'm the only way. This type of messaging that Jesus is teaching with, and I just don't believe that he's pausing in the middle of that to turn the attention away from himself to start making distinctions about good and bad pastors. That doesn't make any sense to me. And the reason it doesn't is because your eternity and your faith and your relationship with God doesn't depend on pastors. At least it shouldn't, and if it does, you're playing a dangerous game with your faith. You see, I don't believe this portion of text actually has anything to do with making the distinction between a good pastor or a bad pastor. I mean, imagine 
Jesus talking about heaven and hell and the importance of putting all your faith in him and him alone and then making a detour to talk about me and Jamie for a second. It just doesn't add up. There just ain't no way. You see, with this healthy tree, disease tree illustration, I actually think Jesus is making a distinction between himself and everything else in the world. And when Jesus is talking about a tree's a tree that bears fruit and trees that don't, I actually believe that Jesus is making another massively bold claim about himself that not only is Jesus the narrow gate, but also that Jesus is the only fruitful tree. Jesus is the only fruitful tree. You see, this isn't a be careful who your pastor is message, although you should be careful who your pastor is. This is actually a be careful who your God is message. This is a be careful who and what you're giving all your time and attention and energy and devotion to message. You know, in our modern culture, church culture, it's become really popular for pastors to call out other pastors as false teachers and preachers. People want reputable pastors to call out these false prophets by name. Well, you know what? I'm actually up for it today. And so I'm actually... I'm aware of some false prophets that a lot of you guys probably listen to. And this morning, I'm not, I won't even shy away from it. I'll call them out by name. I will. And so if you want to know who some of these false prophets are by name that you guys shouldn't be listening to, feel free to write these names down and keep a list. The first false prophet you shouldn't be listening to, and make sure you catch his name, the false prophet, Anxiety. Anxiety is a false prophet. It is falsely prophesying to you that your future is something to be afraid of. That there's no peace in your future. That things are going to fall apart. That you have reasons to be afraid. That you have reasons to worry. And you have reasons to doubt God. Trust me, this false prophet stays trying to preach in my ear. But I'm calling him out today. He's a false prophet. He speaks lies. How about the false prophet of depression? You know, the spirit of depression is a false prophet, falsely prophesying to you that your life will never mean anything, that your life will never be good again, that there's no joy in your future, that your life is worthless and isn't worth living, and that the world would be better off without you. But you see, these are lies, falsely prophesying, constantly feeding you lies that go directly against the word of God and God's plan for your life. What about the false prophet of addiction? The false prophet of addiction falsely prophesying to you that you're never going to find freedom. Falsely prophesying to you that you might shake free for a little bit, but you're always going to fall back into your old behaviors. That your cycle of sickness is doomed to repeat itself again and again and again. And you're never going to be free, but you see this is false. And I'm calling it out and I'm calling for freedom from addiction in your life in the name of Jesus. And this isn't just for bad people. What about religious people who prophesize to you? What about the false prophet of self-righteousness? Prophesying to you that other people are the problem. Telling you that people in your family or in this country need to get their life together because they're ruining everything. And then if more people just look like you, that the church and the country wouldn't be such a mess. Telling you that you need to open your mouth and try to fix people. Telling you that you need to call out the sins of every person in your life building mountain of pride inside of your heart lying to you. You see, I don't need to call out other pastors by name for being false prophets. You guys 
barely give them any of your time anyway. It's all these other false prophets that have your attention. It's not the false prophets in your headphones you need to watch out for. It's the false prophets in your head and in your heart. Jesus is saying, watch what you're giving your attention and your devotion and your focus to because if it isn't him, they're feeding you diseased fruit. Imagine this. Rotten apple full of worms, decaying, rotting, diseased fruit. You don't believe me? You can test them. I mean, give anything else, any other thing or mindset or person, go ahead and give them all your love and devotion and attention and then watch closely as eventually you will either lose them or they could lose you or eventually these things reveal their true colors. Jesus says you'll recognize them by, your, by their fruit. You'll recognize them by what they add to your life or what they bring to your life. Let anxiety or depression run your life for a while. Go for it. Give them the keys I have. See where it lands you. A crumbled mess that can't get out of bed. Go chase after the attention and affection of men or women. Like really embrace those lustful feelings that you have and just go all in on them and see where it lands you. See if you don't end up thrown away and betrayed and used. What about self-righteousness? Like why don't you latch onto that for a while? Really embrace that and see where your life goes and see if you don't end up lonely and bitter and resentful. You see, the proof is in the fruit when you give your attention to false prophets. And it's not even all bad things. I mean, if you want to put all of your hope in your romantic relationship or your family or your friends, go for it. But I'm telling you, it's going to be the end of you if your spouse ever cheats on you or if your family or friends get busy with life. They don't even need to betray you. The person you care about most could just get a bad diagnosis or be taken away from you suddenly and if all your hope is in a person or people what are you going to do when that happens when life happens but if you instead decide to embrace Jesus man I, I never want to make a sermon about me but I just have to brag on Jesus and I have to share how this has been true in my life a lot of you guys know that my mom passed away of pancreatic cancer in 2020 September 11th 2020, one of the worst days of one of the worst years. And you know, she didn't gain her wings and heaven didn't gain another angel and God didn't need her more than we needed her or any of the other untrue things that people say. But the truth is, her race had just been won. God's plan for her life, she lived out God's plan for her life and then she got to go rest in the arms of Jesus. That's what happened. And man, I just knew that losing her was going to destroy me. She was 48 years old. And I knew that losing her was going to wreck my life. And the thing is, it did hurt. But at the same time, man, when I tell you guys that God gave me the supernatural peace, comfort, that in my grieving that I also felt unbelievable confidence and joy that like God was taking care of all of it and that he had her and that he also had us, See, I always thought that I had faith, that I believed in Jesus, but in that season, Jesus showed me some real fruit. He showed me that he is who he says he is. In the song, the first song we sang, Christ is my firm foundation, that rains came and wind blew, but my hope was built on you. I experienced that. See, this passage is a literal moment of Jesus saying, man, don't take my word for it. Like, if you want to build your life on sand, 
build it, but it's going to fall apart. You're going to find out. You'll see the disease to fruit. Or, or you can commit your life to me, and you can find out who I am and what I'm all about. And man, I will turn your life upside down in such a powerful and beautiful way that you will never be the same again. And all those false prophets that keep trying to speak to you, they will lose their influence over your life. And if something tragic happens in your life, yeah, it will hurt, but it won't be the end of you. I will carry you. This is not a theory. This is reality. This is who Jesus is. Why do you think Jesus says in the book of John, he says, I am the vine. You can also read that as I am the tree. I am the vine. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Jesus said, you stay attached to me. You stay pursuing me. You're going to have fruit in your life. You're going to have peace and joy and love and abundance. You're going to experience these things. But if you attach yourself to anything else, you can't find them in that. And so the question becomes, who or what has your attention? What has your devotion and what are you filling your time with? Who or what has control over your thoughts? Because it matters. It matters, man. It matters first because it controls how you're going to experience life. It controls your perception of the world and of your life. And if it isn't Jesus, that's not going to fulfill you because nothing else satisfies like he does. Nothing else sustains, at least not in the long term. And then in the bigger picture, what you give all of your attention and your focus to, in other words, where you put your faith, it will determine where you spend eternity. Jesus is clear on this. He says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness, which reveals to us that true belief in Jesus requires commitment. It's not just mental belief that it starts to affect your life. And, and I want to be careful here because what I don't want you guys to hear is that Jesus is going to turn people away from heaven because they didn't earn it. And what I don't want you to hear is that Jesus is saying that he's going to turn people away from heaven because they weren't good enough. This is not about effort, it is not about performance, and it is not about your righteousness, but rather it is about where you are putting your faith and what you are building your life on. This is a warning to those who proclaim to believe in Jesus, who do the external performance of worship, but don't actually invite God to have control over their lives. Jesus says that's a wide gate. Anyone can do that. A lot of people do that. Anyone can walk into a church and sing songs and raise their hands and get emotional and shake hands and smile with other believers and say all the right things and yet never actually invite God into their lives. He said that's a wide gate. That's easy. That's like going to the beach and picking up a rock and throwing it at the ocean and hoping you're going to hit it. Anyone can do that. That's easy. It requires nothing of you. I mean, even demons in the Bible, demons in the Bible performed external acts of religion and worship. In Mark 1, demons call out to Jesus as they see him approaching. And this is what demons say to Jesus. They say, what have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Listen to the heart of what they're saying. Jesus, you are powerful. Jesus, you are holy. You can destroy us. You're so powerful and holy. 
Jesus, you're powerful. Jesus, you're holy. Does this not sound like some of the worship songs that we sing? Later in the chapter, in Mark chapter 3, it says, And whenever the unclean spirits saw him, they fell down before him and cried out, You are the Son of God. Like, these are demons. Demons falling on their face and proclaiming who Jesus is. Demons who are not committed to Jesus, who are not loyal to Jesus, and who do not love him, and yet they proclaim his name. And so let them be an illustration to you that you can acknowledge Jesus with your mouth and still deny him in your heart. Because what's the truth about these demons? Well, the truth is that just like Satan and so many other human beings, they are obsessed with themselves. They want to remain free to do whatever they want. They want to sing the songs and come and look like believers and that they don't want it to impact their lives at all. And so they're not going to submit to Jesus. They're not going to repent of any type of sin. And they're definitely not going to lay down their life in favor of the life that Jesus offers them. And yet, at first glance, by the way the demons speak, by what comes out of their mouth, you'd almost confuse them for Jesus followers, but they're not. And Jesus says human beings can do the exact same thing. Jesus says there are going to be plenty of people who say, Lord, Lord, oh Jesus, you're so powerful. I believe you are who you say you are. And yet, because they remain unwilling to actually submit to him and make him the foundation of their life, that one day Jesus is going to look them in the face and say, I never knew you. I mean, don't get confused about who Jesus is. I think we've made a mistake in the modern church of presenting Jesus as like this passive dweeb or something like, hey there, love you, really love you. I think it would be awesome if you loved me too. And you just got to love, like you just have to say you believe in me. It doesn't have to, you don't have to change anything in your life. Your life can look the same. You just come to church and sing some songs. And like if you do all those things, you'll be invited to my party that's in heaven. But that's not Jesus. (laughs) That's not Jesus. The Bible says Jesus is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. The Bible says everything was made in him and through him, that nothing escapes his eye. The Bible says that heaven is his throne and the earth is his footstool, that he speaks and galaxies burst into existence. That's who he is. And one day, very soon, every knee is going to bow down and every tongue is going to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. That's who he is. But until that day comes, every person has an opportunity to submit themselves to him and receive the gift of forgiveness and salvation that he paid for on a cross with his blood. And you either accept that gift or you don't. A lot of people know the verse where the Apostle Paul says this. says, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? We love that. If God is for us, who can be against us? And it gives us the warm fuzzies and the hallelujahs and the hoorays and we get all fired up about it. But did you also know that Jesus, Jesus said this, whoever is not with me is against me and whoever does not gather with me scatters. Meaning those who are not willing to surrender their obsession with themselves and commit their lives to Christ are actually enemies of God, no matter what comes out of their mouth. Meaning those who sit on the fence and want to play it both ways are actually enemies of God. Meaning those who declare Jesus with their mouth but then deny him with their lifestyle are actually enemies of God. And man, I know this is heavy. 
this is a tough teaching, but like, how can I say that I love you guys, and how can we say that we love the people in our lives if we're not willing to be honest about this stuff? And I think we've fallen into a culture nowadays where we're so terrified to push people away, or we're so terrified to offend people that we end up misrepresenting what this is all about. And we either make it some quest to be a good person, or we make it so passive that people barely have to do what demons do, and we tell them that they're going to be all right, but that's not true. We have to submit to him. This is the God of the universe. This is the Savior of the world, and he isn't dependent on our love or our praises. He's secure, and he has everything he needs, and yet he does love you. And he desires for you to find fulfillment and peace and love and salvation through a relationship with him so much so that he was willing to suffer and die to offer it to you. But we got to make the move. Guys, we have to say yes to this and accept this. And we have to build our lives around this if we want to experience fulfillment in this life and eternity with him. This is your life. This is your life. And only one path leads home. Only one tree bears fruit, and if we're not for Jesus, we are against him. And the truth is, one day you're going to stand before God by yourself. And the faith of your family and your friends and your neighbors does not transfer to you. You have to answer for yourself where you put your faith in this life. And based on what you say and based on how you live this out, Jesus is either going to say to you, well done, good and faithful servant, or he's going to say, depart from me, I never knew you. There's only one path, there's only one tree, there's only one Savior, and he has offered this invitation for you to let him rule in your life and in your heart. And we decide what to do with that invitation. Let's pray. Jesus, you are amazing. And you are the King of kings, and you are the Lord of lords. And God, I apologize, and I confess the moments in my life where I have made you small, where I have made you a supplement to my life, where I have made you an add-on to what I'm trying to do instead of submitting my plans to you and submitting my life to you and giving my heart to you. I am not God, and you are. And I need less of me in my own life, and I need you to come in and take over, God. And as a community, we need this too. God, I pray for freedom from the influence of false prophets in our lives, whether they are the things that I named or the thousands of other things that I didn't name, the things that try to speak lies to us, that try to pull our attention and focus away from you. We want to experience and we need to experience the life that you offered us, Lord. I pray that your Holy Spirit rests on this room right now. Whether we've made the decision to follow you or whether we've never made that decision, that we get clarity right now by the power of the Holy Spirit of exactly who you are and how we need to respond to you to experience fulfillment in this life and eternity with you in the next. And God, as we leave this and go back into our regular lives, whether it's to lunch or meeting people or family or whatever it is, God, I pray that the message of the gospel and these words of yours stick in our heads and in our hearts and that we can't shake you and we obsess over the thought of you, and we just pursue you relentlessly and desperately, God. Reveal yourself to us and allow us to respond appropriately. We love you so much. We pray all these things in your name, in your name alone, Jesus. Amen.